gather today in the name of God, El Roi, the God who sees, who meets us this hour with love, kindness, and care. This is the God who chases after us, who follows us with goodness. This is the God who sees us when we feel lonely, all on our own, when we find ourselves in times of despair, when we feel unseen. El Roi, the God who sees, is near. Watch over us all when we feel lost and afraid, but you, El Roi, are here. Amen. Please join me in prayer. With our lips and with our hearts, we bless, bless God, God in every moment of our lives. With our ears and with our hearts, we will hear the cries of our sisters and brothers in every painful moment, in every broken place. With our eyes and with our hearts, we will not divert our sight from those who suffer. With every gift and with our hearts, we will serve, serve one another, all of God's children, with, with every, every moment, moment of our lives. Amen. Today we'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke in the 18th chapter. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, Going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man, the man to be brought to him when he came to, to, when him to come near. He asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, receive, receive, Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, praised God. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. Felix. My youngest grandson's name is Felix. It's a lucky name. Those of you who know Harry Potter know. Um, I want to give a trigger warning. So I'm going to be talking about suicide. So if there's anyone here who feels that that's something that is too difficult for you, you're welcome to go. And I want to start by saying this is not the homily I thought I would be speaking this morning when I signed up back in October. I had chosen the text and I had a theme and I was gathering thoughts and I had my Google Doc and putting quotes in there. And I had a pretty good sense of where I was going this morning, but it just wasn't to be. 
I honestly thought that I may end up coming here as of yesterday and saying, I have nothing. I'm really sorry, Jessica, can we sing some more songs? You know, that's where I was at yesterday. But I do have a story to tell, just not the one I originally thought I had. So I'm teaching a professional's course this winter, and um, the student's term project is to write a public narrative. It's built upon a defining story in their life. So we've worked through the concept that stories, that the stories that identify us the most are usually marked by conflict and um, marked by tension. And by naming those tensions, we can see how our abiding values and drive for agency and advocacy are birthed from those stories. We've, heard, we've worked hard in this community and in my community in the classroom to create safe spaces where we can share ourselves and share our values and influence one another without fear. And in my class, amazing, beautiful stories are coming out, vulnerable stories. And I'm so very proud of those students. And because I won't require my students to do something that I won't do myself, I also wrote a narrative to share with them. It was a very difficult story to write. And I've been wrestling, wrestling, wrestling this week with it, like Jacob with the angel, because that's the story I'm supposed to tell here today. It wasn't the homily I planned, and I didn't want to do this. Like I said, I planned my homily before November 8th, when our community began to suffer so deeply. And so here it goes. Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. As many of you know, I'm the youngest of nine children. Good Catholic family. My parents called my six brothers the Rhythm Brothers. Um, yeah, you may or may not get that. <laughs> I just about had enough for a baseball team, but girls didn't play baseball back in the 60s, so I didn't get to enjoy that. Um, so I had six older brothers. I was the youngest, and uh, I loved all my brothers, but I had a special fondness for my brother Mike. He loved animals. He was the second um, of the brothers. He was the fourth old, oldest, I guess I could put it that way. Yeah, he was only seven years older than me, and so um, we had a big family in a short period of time. Um, he loved animals, and I did too, and I remember when I was a little girl, he had guinea pigs, and he had um, a, a, a little litter. Guinea pigs only have two babies, and he brought them to me, and he said, look at the baby guinea pigs. Their eyes are open. Um, guinea pigs are born with their eyes open. They have fur. They're running around. They're like, wee, wee, wee. and I remember it was just, it was so exciting for me. I know in some places they eat them. I've eaten guinea pigs, so, um, but they were family pets, and um, Another story that my, my mom told me, has, she's told this several times because moms do that. We were camping one summer, and I was about four years old, and uh, my brothers were all catching snakes, uh, little water snakes. And um, Mike dug a pit because he wanted to keep them all. So he dug a pit, and he sat me there next to the pit, and my job was to keep the snakes inside the hole. Okay? And um, later, when he was about... 14 years old, he brought a six-foot-long boa constrictor home. 
And my mom said, get that thing out of the house. And he said, no, mom, look. And he put it around her neck. And as she started to pet its, its skin, she said, okay, I like him. He can stay. And so Mike named that snake Sylvester. Sylvester was part of our lives for a long time. Snakes live a long time. So when Mike got older, he started doing drugs in high school, like a lot of the high school kids did. We grew up in the 70s. All right, that's all I needed to say. But the problem for Mike was that it tr triggered mental illness, and he ended up um, being diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. He, and even so, in his early 20s, he was able to work. He had a job. He was working in an body, auto body shop, and he had an apartment. Um, but one day, um, things just got really bad inside his head, and he totally trashed his apartment. He had a pound of weed that he stuffed down a toilet, and he let Sylvester go free. So the um, apartment manager wasn't very happy about that, didn't call the police. My brothers cleaned the weed out of the toilet. Um, my parents picked up my brother, Mike, took him home, and we had to pick up the snake at the animal control shelter. The night that my brother took his life, I had friends from church over that afternoon. My youth pastor was there. It was summer. It was the, it was the summer that I had graduated from high school. We were hanging out, talking about stuff that high school students talk about, youth group stuff, Bible, how great life is, Jesus is coming soon, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, my brother Mike was home, and he participated kind of on the edges of that. And then later that night, my, my uh, brother Kurt, who's the youngest, um, we're not quite Irish twins. We're 15 months apart, but we, we uh, were in the same grade, so everyone thought we were twins, and we were like this, and um, still are very close. So he and I were watching Saturday Night Live. It was late. That's a late-night show, and my brother Mike kept coming out and looking at us, and then he'd go back to his room, which was kind of odd. I didn't think too much of it. But uh, we went to bed, and then um, not much later, I was asleep, but not much later, my mom came in and told me to get up that Mike was dead. And the bluntness and severity of her words punctuated uh, my realization that I knew something was wrong and that maybe I could have stopped it. That's something I didn't admit to anybody until the last 10 years. When I went in and I saw my brother where he lay in his bedroom, I put my hand inside his shirt on his chest and he was still warm. But his tender, loving heart had stopped beating. He was 25 years old and I was 17. I think the story we heard in the gospel this morning isn't just about a blind man seeing. It's about him being seen. God, do you see me? because it seems like nobody else does. Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. This was my first experience with suicide, but it would not be my last. I need two hands to count people I, have, I love who have either taken their lives or attempted to. All of them struggling to see through the darkness, all of them struggling to be seen, Two years ago, a former student of mine, a friend of my daughter's, on the day that he graduated from college, he took his life. My daughter had texted me that her friend had left his apartment with a gun, and we waited all afternoon. 
I put a Gunger song on repeat. I just listened and listened and listened to the same song over and over and over that afternoon, waiting um, for an inevitable news. And I remember the text my daughter sent me. It had the same bluntness as my mother's words, Jeff is dead. I spent many sad and angry days dealing with the fact that mental illness and depression is something that we just don't talk enough about. And suicide, we talk about that even less. How can we learn to see, to really see the people around us in a way that they know that they are seen, in the way that we need to be seen? And the only thing that I could hang on to during those days were the people who surrounded me, people of faith who held me up when I could not. The dark night of the soul is a very real thing. And as much as we can learn in darkness, there comes a time when we need the light. Our love for one another is the light that we need, the light that shines in the darkness. Lord, I want to see again. After Jeff died, I was determined to do something. I decided I needed to be more open about mental health about my own mental health, about suicide, and how it had affected my family, and to help whoever I could. And so for the last few years, when I'm in um, classes with first-year students as a librarian, especially if it's Suicide Prevention Month, I say, hey, I'm a college dropout. And the students are like, what, you know? And I said, yeah, I was a first-gen student, and um, I really didn't know what I was doing. I was a commuter student. Commuter students don't really fit in the way you know, resident students fit in. And my brother had just taken his own life the summer before and just a few months before, and I couldn't deal with the pressures of school, and I couldn't deal with having no friends around me, and so I dropped out. And then I tell them that's something we don't want to happen here. We don't want you to drop out. We want you to know that there are people here not programs, not offices, but people here who know you, who see you, who understand the pressures, who know that this too shall pass and can come alongside you and help you. And um, whether, it's, whether it's the stresses of school and thinking you might fail or if you're feeling like you might hurt yourself, we don't want that to happen. And we have people here for you. We see you. We see them when they cannot even see themselves. And you know what, we here in this room, we need to hear the same message. You and I. We need to know that compassion and love and care fills this room. Our community has experienced a great darkness. But we are all light set on a hill. Let us see again. I was in a prayer circle yesterday, it was very small. It wasn't what I was expecting when I got there. And I'm like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? But it was lovely. And one of the things that was mentioned is a healing circle. One of the things that was mentioned, well, wouldn't it be awesome if we could just put a circle around this whole campus, you know, and make this whole campus a place where we could heal with one another? And um, that's a grand notion. But could we at least put a circle around this chapel, around this group of people? that all of us will be safe with one another and care for one another. And from this space, we can go out into the places on campus and be and see and hear and understand the struggles that we all share with one another. The educator and community organizer, Parker Palmer, tells us, 
The goal of knowledge arising from love is the reunification and reconstruction of broken selves and broken worlds. A knowledge born of compassion aims not at exploiting and manipulating the world, but at reconciling the world to itself. The mind motivated by compassion reaches out to know as the heart reaches out to love. Here the act of knowing is an act of love, the act of entering and embracing the reality of the other, of allowing others to enter and embrace our own. In such knowing we know and are known as members of one community, and our knowing becomes a way of reweaving re that community's bonds. May we reweave our community's bonds. I'd like to end with something that is a small part of my daily spiritual practice. So I am a member of a Benedictine community and I practice Benedictine spirituality. And so one of the things we, we read every morning or recite every morning is um, the Canticle of Zechariah. So I'm gonna read one small portion of that to end us. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Amen. Pray with me. Lord of light, God who sees, we are grateful for your presence, for being with us in times of despair. Thank you for seeing us. Open our ears, eyes, hearts, and minds to recognizing you in all of life's circumstances. We need you, God, and we need one another as we walk through these times of darkness. God, be our light. Amen. May the God of love and consolation answer you in the day of trouble. May the God who sees fortify you. May God's light illuminate your path. May the Spirit surround you with peace. And may that peace follow you out into the world. Amen. Go in peace. God is with you. I invite you to share a sign of God's peace with those all around you.